Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you experts from the media industry to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Newsletters have been a focal point for many news organisations in recent years as a way to get more readers down the engagement funnel to eventually become paying subscribers. This week, I'm talking to a local news publication based primarily on Substack, an online platform which enables readers to pay and subscribe for newsletters. My guest today is Yoshi Herman, the founder of The Mill, a Substack newsletter publication which covers Greater Manchester here in the UK. Since starting up in June 2020, The Mill has 1,250 paying subscribers at £7 a month. But that's not all. Sister titles elsewhere in the UK have branched off after receiving support from Substack's local news fund. Both the Tribune in Sheffield and the Post in Liverpool launched on the platform last year. And it's not just a hobby. This news operation has created jobs for four full-time reporters across the various titles. Excuse the pun, but this emerging trend in newsletter funding is a stark alternative to the -the run-of-the-mill local news business model we've come to expect for decades. Yoshi tells me more about how that alternative is giving some of the local legacy titles a run for their money and is actually prompting their rivals to copy their model. All of that is coming up after this. Journalism.co.uk offers media training courses for journalists, editors and media professionals to help you succeed at your job. Pick up some of the best interviewing tricks of the trade by attending our next advanced interviewing course, led by experienced broadcast journalist Paul Connolly. That's happening on the 3rd of May 2022. For more details on how to book your place, visit www.journalism.co.uk forward slash courses. Yoshi, welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. Great to have a chance to speak. Um, Yeah, thanks for jumping on. Thank you very much. It's great to be on the pod. (laughs) Awesome. Great to have a fellow podcaster on. Um, Would you mind telling our audience uh, a little known fact about you? A little known fact about me um, that I spend my Sundays looking, ranging around the country, looking at medieval churches because that is my uh, that is my sort of secret hobby. Oh, why? Why? I don't know. I've just always been into them. I just uh, I'm just a church buff, and um, and there's uh, it's difficult to explain. But every time I I'm I'm in a different bit of the country, I'm always like trying to drag my friends to to go and look at the local churches, or whatever. So. Um, maybe, maybe at one point I'll, I'll explain it in a piece or something. <laughs> cool. Any particular favorite places of interest? Favorite places? No, but I'm, I'm particularly into sort of real Gothic churches and, um, I've been slightly sort of disappointed in Manchester that I haven't found as many sort of really, really old ones as I want, but right next to our office on St. Anne's Square, right by the Royal Exchange building is St. Anne's Church, which is a beautiful, beautiful sort of 1700 ish um church and one of the nicest buildings in manchester so we've kind of become friends with the people down at st anne's and that's brought a lot of a lot of joy give us the origin story of the mill if you would uh covering kind of your mission going back to when you started and really what your focus and priorities were when you when you started it all up yeah it's a good question so it was about 18 months ago it was during the first lockdown and I was doing various bits of freelancing for, I think I'd been writing for the the Times but just before that and the Telegraph. And I just wanted to try a business of my own, a media business of my own. And I had this kind of idea for a few years that you could do a really, really small scale, local subscription funded media company if you really, really focus on quality 
and you had a really tiny team and you just really tried to differentiate hard from what was out there already. I've kind of been interested in the issues in local news for a few years. And I went to a conference in Arizona a few years ago, um, organized by Google and the kind of decline in quality and, and the, the kind of big recession in, in, in the economics of local news has been a thing that I care about. And it was during that summer of 2020 that I was like, well, maybe I should, you know, give something a go. I should try and put my ideas to the test and see if people agree that there's a more in-depth, more thoughtful, more nuanced version of journalism that could um, provide a, a really valuable service in a, in, a, in a city like Manchester and an area like Greater Manchester. So that's why I, that's why I wanted to give it a go. The decline of quality in local news is an issue we've discussed frequently on this podcast. It was only last month that the regional news group Reach PLC started to set new performance targets for their reporters. This means that they will need to hit a certain benchmark of page views on their articles by the end of the year, depending on the title they work for and what their role is. For example, the Mill's local rival, and one of Reach PLC's flagship titles, Manchester Evening News, is in the C2 bracket meaning general reporters need to hit 850 page views a month, court reporters need to hit 800,000, and public interest specialists need to hit 560,000. This scheme is in a pilot phase and is being reviewed. In contrast, at The Mill, their approach is less is more, with a focus on delivering to a loyal, paying niche market, as opposed to racking up thousands of page views. I think one of the big issues in local news is that reporters are having to write more and more and more stories. They're just churning out content because they're in smaller teams, because they're, um, the strategies of the companies they work for demand that they publish you know, very high volumes on their websites to get web traffic. And the first thing I wanted to do is say, instead of publishing dozens and dozens of stories every day, let's focus on one or two things that we really care about, that we can really devote time to. So that's one big difference. I suppose the other big difference is I'm focusing on feature writing more than news reporting. I mean, we have a lot of reporting inside our features. You know, we've 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 done a lot some investigative work. We've done some good digging. I think we we ask questions of local authorities, and I think we do some important reporting. But it's often within narrative storytelling, which is just a, a form of journalism that I think we don't have enough of in this country, and that I thought would be a valuable addition to the to the ecosystem. Yeah, and missing within local news, I would add that as well. Yeah, totally missing with local news. I mean, what's happened in a lot of local news markets is that the big newspapers that used to exist turned into one newspaper. They merged or what old titles went out of business. And then what happened is that one newspaper has shed a lot of its kind of non-news content. So the people who used to review plays in Manchester for the Manchester Evening News, uh, theatre critics, people who wrote about books, the feature writers. Some of these big regional papers used to have like eight to ten feature writers. When I was on the Evening Standard, there was eight feature writers on the Standard, three features editors, sometimes four. All these bits of newspapers that used to exist have been stripped away. Now we're down to the absolute bare bones of some general reporters, maybe a few specialists, lots of people writing exclusively or for online or mostly for online. And I think what that means is we've lost a lot of the richness in local journalism. I think we've lost a lot of the journalism that gives people a real sort of feeling of like magic and connection with their area. And that's something I want to bring back because I don't think local journalism is just about informing people and stuffing facts down their nose. I think it's about 
helping people to see the humanity in each other in their community, helping different communities in a city to understand each other better, helping people to feel a stronger connection to the kind of fabric of the place that they live, the history, the culture, the people. Um, that's, that's the kind of vision of journalism that I uh, believe in, and that's what we're trying to pursue. Yeah, a superb and, and topical of, um, example, of course, recently was the interviews you did with Ukrainians in Manchester. You can see they are a very clear example of a global story playing out on a local level um, through this very in-depth sort of feature-led focus, uh, as you just explained there. Yeah, exactly. That's a, a good example. Like We try to send our writers out to a community centre where people are learning Ukrainian dance, or we send our reporters out to protests where they can pick up the colour and, and, and the quotes. We try to pick up the kind of texture and the richness of communities and events. And we, we often emphasise that we want our writers to depict scenes and dialogue rather than just facts. And I think that's been successful for us because I think it gives people a completely different engagement with their community. I had a really nice email from a member recently who said that being a member has and reading our stuff has like completely, I think he said like completely revolutionized his understanding of the city or something really like, nice like that. And that's what we're trying to do with this form of storytelling. Superb. And you can see in the newsletter as well, like there's there's a whole array of things in there from like weather updates, but then you've also got your kind of classical newspaper items like nibs and features and letters to the editor as well. Exactly. So I think there are some uh, bits of what you might call the bundle of local news uh, that, that are still really valid. And, and, and I think we, we still need to do giving people little bits of information. But I think there are loads of other bits that weren't in the bundle before or that have been lost from the bundle that you need to um, push back in like great feature writing and you know reviews of plays and 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 when there's a big book out in a city that's about the city or a big author or something like a really you know good intellectual engagement with that author or piece of criticism I think we've lost that and I think that's a really important thing to get back does it just to play devil's advocate here a little bit does it worry you that your model is so dependent on a tech platform like Substack I don't think so, because with Substack, you own your own database. So it's not like in the days of being really reliant on Facebook pages, where if Facebook changed the algorithm, you couldn't move your Facebook followers to a different platform. With Substack, and with these most of these other newsletter platforms, you own your list. So if something went wrong with Substack, or they decided to go in a different direction or whatever, we could take our email list entirely and we could start it on MailChimp or we could start it on Ghost or whatever. So I don't I don't worry too much about that. Substack's been pretty good for us. It's really just taken all the tech headache away. I don't have to deal with support. I don't have to deal with like you know, bug fixes and, and fixing our website and stuff. So for someone non-techie like me who just wants to crack on with the journalism, uh, I have to say Substack have been a pretty um, brilliant partner. So let's get down to the numbers. The Mill is Yoshi's primary newsletter publication covering Greater Manchester. That has about two full-time editorial team members, plus Yoshi and a handful of freelancers working out of a small office. It has about 17,000 people signed up to its free emails and 1,250 paying subscribers at £7 a month. But because of the nature of newsletters, a lot of their content is forwarded on to family and friends. So there is an extended audience of anywhere between 50 to 100,000 readers who are not signed up to the mill. The publication has a wide age range, but recent surveys have indicated their most engaged readership are in their late 20s and early 30s. This age group regularly gets in touch with story leads and feedback. Part of the reason Yoshi thinks newsletters give them an edge over their competitors is that local news websites have historically been clunky to use, slathered with ads and bad for search, 
In contrast, the newsletter is neatly organised, and thanks to how Substack works, much easier to search back through past editions and find what you're looking for. But it's not just about numbers. What they choose to focus on also makes a big difference. Anyone who has spent time in a local newsroom will know that there are the nuts and bolts beats to cover. Courts, councils, local emergencies. But yet again, The Mill has chosen to take a very different position on this. My feeling about local news is that there are quite a few stories now that previously, if they weren't in the local paper, no one would know about them. But that now they are shared by the police on their Facebook page. They are shared by a local charity on their Twitter account. They're shared by a local photographer on their Instagram. Lots of sources of information are already out there about effectively what you might call incremental developments in local life, right? Local Facebook groups are amazing for that. No local paper. I always see local journalists like trying to share their links in local Facebook groups, and I totally get it. But I also think, hang on, these groups are amazing at disseminating that kind of incremental information. I don't think local news needs to do that as much anymore. I think it needs to pick the stories that it thinks matters. I think it needs to explain those stories in depth. I think it needs to represent its readers by getting in touch with the council. Like we're doing a story about homelessness in Manchester at the moment. We're really trying to understand the issue in depth. And we are putting loads of questions to the council. We're trying to, you know, I guess, pressure them to put uh, someone up for an interview. Our readers couldn't do that via their Facebook group. So we do that kind of work. But our readers will know that there's a bonfire at the end of their street in two weeks time because that is in the local Facebook group. So I think there's a hell of a lot of stuff that you can do a bit of traffic on, but actually we don't need in the local newspaper bundle anymore, as it were. And there are these bits that I think you need to, we really do need. And that's what that's what we're trying to report. That makes complete sense because by posting it in the, in the Facebook group or what, whatever that community happens to be, you're taking them away from where they kind of want to be with that kind of information, it seems. And half the time the information comes from the Facebook group anyway. It's like an attempt to get, you know, to rinse some traffic out of the situation. Yeah, you're just trying to extract the the traffic out of the group, aren't you? It makes complete sense. Um, Again, staying with the theme of day-to-day realities, you know, you, you said that you're actually managing to create roles and create jobs through the work that you're doing at the mill. And as we will come to talk about in a bit, the the other titles you've been able to launch, What's the what's the reality for revenue coming into the um, into into the mill at the moment? Yeah, I mean the revenue is obviously still pretty nascent, as it were. We're making enough revenue to almost cover the cost of what we got. I am not paying myself an awful lot of money, to be honest. You know, um, I, I I knew I wouldn't be when you start a new venture. You're not going to be earning a lot of money from it. But I've sort of sacrificed money that I could be earning in, in order that we can bring people in faster because I really want to build like a um, a local news institution rather than something that's just like me writing things which is what it was at the beginning um the revenue is is almost enough to cover you know with with not much coming to me there's almost enough to cover all our costs which I think is a real achievement uh we're going to grow as we get more and more members we got loads more this week because uh, we had an editor's note that did that did really well um so that helps us you know that makes me think you know okay, when can I bring in a little bit more editorial support and, and that sort of thing? Um, but yeah, we need the support of of readers. Like we're, we're entirely funded by our paying members. Um, the more members we get, the more we can do. Um, we've actually got members across the country who are nothing to do with Manchester, just they believe in the model and they want it to work. You know, like Kerry Thomas tweeted the other day, he, you know, guy who used to edit Panorama and, and Today programme, he tweeted, like, I'm a huge fan of the mail, even though I live in London. We've got quite a lot of people like that who just, they like the model, they want it to work. But yeah, it's all funded by members. So it, it's not complicated maths, right? Like 1,250 members and, and and they're paying seven quid a month. So you can see we're not we're not earning half a million quid or a million quid a year yet. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. 
it's also awesome you've been able to recruit from local universities and local graduates. Yeah, 100%. It's, that's, that's been so nice. So Molly graduated from Manchester University last summer, and then she joined us like a week after she graduated. Danny graduated from the News Associates course in Manchester this time last year and joined us, I think, a day after she graduated. Jack Delhanty graduated from MMU, you know, I can't remember, it was, I think it was the end of last summer. And he joined us on shifts for, I think it was four months while I could try to get the money together to, to hire him. And then he joined on January the 1st um, as a full-time employee. So that's been such a nice thing. There's a there's all this talent who I, that, you know, probably would have gone to London to try and get the kind of journalism and jo- writing jobs that they want. But they're staying in Manchester now and they're loving it. And they're doing, I think, really extraordinary work. Um, so yeah, that's been gratifying. After the success of The Mill, Yoshi was eligible for support from the Substat Local News Fund, which enabled him to launch two new sister titles last year, The Tribune in Sheffield and The Post in Liverpool, complete with a full-time editor each. The Tribune has about 600 paying subscribers, and The Post 200, but the latter only went to paid subscriptions in November of last year. This way of operating is a refreshing alternative for local and aspiring reporters who want to do local news differently. Currently, the well-worn path of getting a job at a local paper as a way to get on the career ladder has left many young reporters feeling less than inspired. The struggling business model and the emerging news deserts in the regional press have also worried new entrants when it comes to weighing up the sustainability of such a career. The Mill's approach has been such a departure from business as usual that it's caught the attention of their nearest competitors. Last month, it emerged that Reach PLC, The regional news group that owns the Manchester Evening News launched a 12-person newsletter team to rival The Mill, funded by the Google News Initiative. In a letter to his readers, Yoshi described this as a surreal moment and urged more of their readers to take the step to support the Substack newsletter startup. As the saying goes, imitation is the greatest form of flattery, but in an industry with such an imbalance of resources and opportunities when it comes to audience share, funding opportunities and market advantage, the struggle for independent news titles to compete or rival legacy big players is as real as ever, regardless of the innovation at play. I I wrote about it in an editor's note on our website and we had an amazing response. I think people can see that Reach has obviously realised that you know there is a competitor here that is able to do really high quality journalism that's i suppose pulling readers away from them but i don't really think it's they feel threatened like in terms of their business model i think they're probably just a bit embarrassed because it's like if if a three people you know in a sitting in an office can produce journalism that's you know going to win awards and and that gets all this kind of attention and that people are sharing and people are saying, oh, return to quality local journalism. I just think it's probably a bit embarrassing because if you own the big newspaper in Liverpool and you own the big newspaper in Birmingham, you own the big newspaper in Manchester, and you're not the one who's producing the journalism that people are talking about, I just think it's probably a bit of a blot on your copybook. And and honestly, like I do think that company has abdicated its role in a lot of these cities. I think they still produce a bit of good journalism, but they produce so much other stuff as well that isn't local, that isn't journalism. And I think think that's created the space for us to come along so we've had an amazing response i don't think them creating a newsletter team is is really gonna you know desperately hurt us because i think quality wins out and i think the kind of people who pay for the mill are people who've really moved away from the men who've really realized the men is not for them so i don't you know i hope it doesn't hurt us financially it was it was a strange moment um i've been really like honestly moved by the response like we've had dozens of emails and I've had texts. I had people calling me when they saw that headline. Ever since I wrote that editor's note, which is on our website, um, 
you know, I've had just like an amazing response and dozens more people have joined as members. So that's, that's my two cents on that, I suppose. Yeah. In a weird sense, does it kind of give you confidence that you're on the right lines though? 100%. Yeah. Like so many people have said to me, like, you know, um, imitation is the, is the sincerest form of flattery and that kind of thing. I, obviously it shows we're a little bit on the right lines because a massive stock market listed company wants to copy us and create like a knockoff version of the mill and knockoff version of the post. I think it does show that. I mean, I'd almost rather not have the compliment and be able to <laughs> not have a 12, a 12 person team taking me on or whatever that means. But you know, it does. It, it's nice. And I think I already knew that because I, I think, you know, you're on the right track when you have readers writing in all the time and you people tweeting out your stuff and people saying like i love what the mill's doing i actually think we kind of knew i don't think we needed reach to try and copy us um to know that but yeah i suppose it I suppose it does show that and i hope actually it, it makes other smaller you know competitors or, or, or people in different cities who want to do the same i hope it makes them think oh the mill's obviously on the right track because the reach is trying to copy them i'm going to try and do something like the mill because what we need is a lot more small scale upstart media ventures that have a different model that are based around subscriptions um, and events or, or whatever it else, rather than the, this online ad model that's creating this race to the bottom. Granted, you've obviously already received support from Substack. Is there any other forms of support, be that from other tech platforms, um, the wider media industry or the government that would really assist you at the moment? Oh, that's a good question. It has made me think that like, ever since that story came out, it has made me think, God, do we need to have a bit more financial firepower, a bit more of a war chest if we've got this enormous company trying to sort of wipe us out. I don't know the answer, honestly. Like, I, I'm sort of almost thinking out loud here. I do think at some point we probably need to raise a bit of money so that we're not just so dependent on, like, living day to day and me putting my personal money in when, when we're sh full short. We, we did have that from Substack, but that was more like a kind of um, revenue share where they take a lot of the revenue in the first year to pay back the money they gave you. So in a way, it de-risks it, but they're not actually you know, on net putting loads and loads of money in. So yeah, I, it's, it's a good question. To be honest, come back to me in six months and maybe I'll have a better answer. Okay. To put a more specific question to you, would you be comfortable with one of the local democracy reporters coming to work for one of your titles from the from the BBC? Yeah, I think long term, I think I, I, could, I could envisage that. I think the kind of journalism they do isn't maybe exactly what we do. I, it probably wouldn't be a top priority for me, but the, the local democracy reporters in Grace Manchester do an amazing job. And like, I, I'd be comfortable with that. Honestly, I'd be open to any anything that doesn't compromise our integrity and that allows us to keep on building what we're doing. Right. So just help me understand from your position now, then, what are the kind of key barriers to growth and your kind of next targets? That's a good question. I, we, obviously, we've got loads of people on our free email list who love reading us and who read us really regularly and who rarely miss a piece from the mail and who tweet us, but who don't necessarily pay yet. I think I probably need to keep on learning how to talk to people about the importance of paying for this. You know, I just think in this country, we are much less um, prepared to pay for news, statistically speaking. Like there, there are lower numbers of people paying for, for subscription um, journalism in this country than other countries. There are way, way lower levels of people paying for local subscription journalism in this country than other countries. So in a way, it's a bit like because for 20 years, the big companies that dominate local news have chosen this free model, mostly, almost entirely. We are kind of almost having to not just ask people to pay for the mill, but also to reevaluate the value of local journalism. It's, it's actually something worth paying for. Of course it is. Why would journalism not be something you pay for like you pay for 
you know, your bread and your milk and every other consumer item you pay for. Of course, it's something that's going to need to be funded um, by the people who can consume it. Um, and I think people are beginning to realize that. Like, I think the reason we, like, even though we're a tiny team and we're a totally new brand and we've got no institutional backing, the fact that we've got 1,250, you know, paying members in Manchester, I think that shows that people get it. And I think it also shows that people get the deleterious effect that that have this free model, this reach PLC model has had on local news. I think people are waking up to that big time. But clearly, like, you know, I, I'd say the biggest challenge for me is just persuading more people who really love what we're doing and who in our surveys give us 10 out of 10 and, and, and all that sort of thing to, you know, to pay £7 a month. And I know not everyone can. And, and, and a lot of our journalism is free for that reason. Um, so that we have that public impact and so that we can represent everyone. But um, that's that's the big challenge. Um, that's the big challenge. You're, you're turning around perceptions of what local news is all about and, 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 what, and that it should be paid for. 100%. You're communicating the value that, you know, you can't simply get these in-depth focuses of Ukrainians in Manchester for free out there. That, that just is not because people have this idea that, you know, they're so used to free free media, free news. But what you're there's a premium on the product and it's worth paying for, basically. I think so. And I think you're saying that social media is free and that anyone can post, but that there are certain bits of journalism, like really good quality writing, where you need two editors going back and forth in a room for an hour about a story. Like We, we published a story recently about a Michelin star restaurant in Manchester um, that took five months of reporting. And I can't tell you how many meetings there were between me and the reporter Jack Delhanty and Sophie Atkinson, one of the editors on it, and Harry, the other editor. Like We were meeting all the time. The amount of work and sort of workshopping that goes into that kind of story and legaling and paying for a lawyer to look over it. That's very different from doing a post on social media. And I think that's the kind of thing that's persuading people to, to pay for the mail. And yeah, we, we look, we are plainly, we need thousands more subscribers if we want to turn the mail into the go-to high quality alternative to the Manchester Evening News. You know, the vision I have is to have a media company here that really does produce very, very high quality journalism in these different cities on a very regular basis that really is the, the best media company in, in the country outside London. In order to get that, we obviously need a lot more firepower and more reporters, more editors. Um, but, you know, if we keep on signing people up like we have over the past year, um, I do think we'll get there. Wouldn't it be mad if if for every piece of journalism that you saw on the web on anywhere on the internet, you could see a little price tag on how much it actually cost to produce. <laughs> yeah. And you could and you could compare notes and see, well, you know, this is actually cost in terms of time and resources. Um, and that would be such a revealing and eye-opening moment, wouldn't it? It definitely would. And like it would be hard to quantify, but I think that's such a big thing. But I also think we probably need to get away from the idea that like you're paying for stories, because actually what people are paying for with the mill is not like um, paying for an individual item. They're actually paying for the continued existence of this journalism. So it's somewhere on the spectrum between a, a subscription to, you know, um, a service where you're really paying for every item. You know, I remember like when you paid for music, I don't know, you still do on iTunes, right? You can, you pay for individual tracks, you would pay for individual albums. That's entirely transactional, right? Sure. Where all the way to the other is a Patreon where you're, you're not actually getting anything often, but you're, you just want the things to exist. I think we're probably, you know, we're somewhere on that spectrum. But I think a lot of the time, you know, w what people are paying for is that the mill will exist in two months and it will continue to do the kind of writing, the kind of reporting that not only you want, but you think your city needs and will make your city better. It's um, such an interesting point because, for example, you don't necessarily subscribe to Netflix just to watch Orange is the New Black. 
you, you, you subscribe to it for the abundance of content on there. It might get you through the door because you like Breaking Bad or whatever, but you know, you keep that subscription rolling because you know over time that's going to be worth the money. And if you cancel it, you're going to miss out on so much. Definitely. And I think there are so many different ways that people um, pay for things. There is the entirely transactional ones. There are ones that are a little bit less transactional, have a bit of an altruistic motive. There's, there's stuff all, all the way in the middle. And I think the interesting thing about Substack and Patreon is it's showing that people are paying money for journalism for like different reasons. Like part of the reason I um, subscribe to the New York Times is that I want this New York Times to continue to exist. Sometimes I don't even hit my weekly amount. You know, I don't, I'm not reading that much American stuff. But I, I don't cancel my subscription because I want it to continue. I'd be the same with the New York Mag and New Yorker and the London Review of Books, the other things I subscribe to. Even if I go three months without reading a you know, London Review of Books, and I think everyone's probably had that, that feeling. You know, I often just keep it going because you want that thing to exist. And I think if we can talk to readers um, in that way, that subscribing is not just about what you get today in a transactional sense. It's also about the ongoing existence of the quality operation that you believe in. Uh, then I think that we'll hack our way up to the number of subscribers we need. Just thinking, because I sense your strategic priority from this point onwards is A, growth, but B, communicating value. Um, how do you intend to do that? proactively yeah it's a good question i mean every time we send out a free newsletter we have another like chance to market to people right like every time something goes out to the seventeen thousand, we're trying to get a few of them to come over to the to the paid list so you can always try these different messages that come at the top and the bottom of the email so in a way there's kind of this ongoing experimentation but i also think there's public messaging right which is like local news is important if you don't pay for it you'll increasingly end up with a kind of barren landscape where you've just got loads and loads of clickbait. So I think there's almost like me coming on this podcast and, and, and me speaking about it and me sometimes blogging about it. And the people who care about this issue need to kind of publicly evangelize that high quality journalism outside London is achievable, but it has to be paid for and that there's real value there. So there's a bit of that kind of work as well. Yoshi. Thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. It's been a real blast. And thank you for all your brilliant insights. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Really great to talk to Yoshi and lots to think about there. My main thoughts I'm left with are about the challenge of creating alternatives to the status quo. If local news is to get closer to their audience and be better able to deliver what they need, and paid for newsletters enable this, then the key battle in the independent news space is to communicate to local readers just how big a difference their small contributions can make. Over the last five years or so, we've seen a rise in tech companies like Google and Substack working to enable journalism titles to innovate or find new sustainable funding models. The implications of this are yet to be seen. We'll continue to track these developments for you and want to hear your thoughts on this trend. You can DM or tweet me at JPG Journalism or the wider team at journalism.co.uk at journalism news. You can also email me at jacob at journalism.co.uk with your thoughts. If you like what you heard today, you can check out more of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. And if you're a fan, do leave us a review and rating so others can discover these conversations for themselves. If you'd like to feature on the show or you've got a topic or story you want to share with us get in touch again i'm on jacob at journalism.co.uk but that's all we have time for this week i've been your host jacob granger thanks so much for listening until next time <laughs>